Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of LL Research, an organization dedicated to sharing spiritual information with the world. You can find out more about LL Research at llresearch.org. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who claim to hail from an organization they call the Confederation of Planets in service to the infinite creator. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Hey, Ryan. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Uh, like I was talking to you earlier, I'm feeling a little drained, a little low energy, but I'm bringing the best and highest that I have to this production. How about you? I hear you. Doing well. It is Mother's Day, so uh, we, my my two-year-old son and I took my wife out for a nice breakfast, and uh, my wife was a rock star yesterday. She basically took the little guy for the entire day, which can be both physically and emotionally draining, and let me do yard work the entire day day. I mean, it was badly needed, but still she kind of took one for the team there and let me really focus and just nail down some much needed work on the yard. So we're doing good. <laughs> That's cool. I still have to, uh, reach out to my mom and wish her a happy mother's day, but I know that she listens. So hi mom, happy mother's day. I uh, love you. I think my mom listens too. <laughs> and it, and she hasn't called me back yet. I called her this morning, but she hasn't called me back. So yeah. I'll have to give her, I'll have to give her another buzz. I'm thinking of you, mom. <laughs> so I know that, uh, um, we were talking a bit before and I think we're both on the same page of just how much we like today's release in the living love and light podcast, which was May 6th, 1979. Carla is channeling Hatan, And there are some good little bits in here about uh, service. And Hatan, um, I think, removes some of the cobwebs in my own personal mind as far as what it, what it means to serve. And Hatan does so through the lens of uh, two significant others, I believe. Um, but do you want, just want to jump into this and, uh, you know, hash through some of this cool stuff or what are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think, uh, one of the things that, uh, we should, we should try to do more of is to help people understand the messages and the other podcast and, uh, use them as like jumping off points for having, you know, the same conversation we always have, but I really, I really do want to ground things in, the confederations bona fide <laughs> messages and because i'm afraid of uh, it all being jeremy's commentary and things coming out of jeremy's head and, <laughs> and i've had Ryan, 20 years to yeah. chew on this and get it wrong too <laughs> jeremy's analysis and ryan's anecdotes you could probably <laughs> we could probably rename rename this uh, <laughs> and this that's podcast. all audible baby <laughs> <laughs> yes it is um but let me read some of this because they begin the session and Hatan says, hey, let me answer a question that the instrument has, i.e. Carla. Yeah. And through Carla, Hatan states, this instrument is concerned as to whether she is responsible for the spiritual growth of her mate. 
let me pause there because I believe her mate at this point is Don Elkins. Is it not? Or she was married beforehand for a hot second. Do you I know believe that- at this point, uh, she probably considered Don her mate. Um, the, the, the question is whether Don felt the same way back. Right. Mm, I, mm. that the, the, the dynamics of that relationship is something that, uh, I often get wrong, so I don't want to comment on it too much, but suffice to say that, uh, you know, I mean, I think it has to do with Don and I think that, mm. uh, we can, we can benefit from this message by thinking of our own mates or our own relationships and applying this. Certainly. Certainly. I suppose I, I bring that up because uh, I just I like to know the kind of the backstory sure. or, you know, just coming in cold. But it, it, no matter who her mate is, the response or the, the commentary from Hatan is is pretty good. Yeah. So Hatan continues, we would like to speak on this subject for it is fundamental to an understanding of the true process of spiritual growth as we understand it. That which is among your peoples known as attraction or sexual desire of aesthetic appreciation, depending upon the proclivities of those souls involved, is a technique for placing two people in such a position that they are able to be of service to each other. And I want to pause here. This is an interesting metaphysical purpose for monogamous relationships isn't it it is um and you know we might we might extend further and say that sexual attraction itself you know is a is a is a catalyst creating situation right like it brings people together and then you know uh uh you know Hijinks and Sue. Uh, yeah, hijinks do ensue. <laughs> uh, and so like, uh, but I do think that it is in the mated relationship, right? Um, where that monogamy uh, uh, is found and where the deepest lessons are learned. Uh, in previous uh, sessions, Hatan or somebody else uh, said that, you know, you could have, you know, sexual relationships with lots of different people. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that that's a lot of different people whose karma you're, you know, dealing with. And you, you're more likely to make progress on your karma. If you are only dealing with one person at that intense level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hatan continues. Their free will is not disturbed by this relationship. However, without this natural attraction of polarity, there would be no irresistible reason to sacrifice the pleasures of the moment for a greater or nobler desire to aid another human being. Thus, those among your peoples quite rightly take mates, and thus it is their desire to be of service. However, let us examine the concept of service. How can you be of service to others, my friends? Can you be of service in an orchard by grafting an apple onto a cherry tree, or a pear onto a peach tree, or by pinning the bloom of a tulip to the leaves of a rose? The only garden that you must cultivate is the garden of your own personality. 
if you have weeded your own plot, if those things which have been given you are being done to the best of your ability, if you are centered in the love of the Creator, then you can give the only service that is worth giving. Yourself. Nice job, Hatan. Nice job. Quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt if you're in the middle of a thought. No, no, no. I just, it was cool that we both locked eyes right at the (laughs) point where they talk about service being yourself. It's like, that's heavy. That's really heavy. Let me go back to this great uh, metaphor, these visualizations. Um, Can you be of service in an orchard by grafting an apple onto a cherry tree? What do you think they're trying to say there? I think they're saying there, look, an apple is an apple. You, you can't stick it on a cherry tree and make it turn into a cherry or you can't make the cherry tree turn into an apple. It just, you know, I mean, they taste good together, but you can't, you know, so tying this back to yourself and your mate, your partner, you can't change them. Right. You're not going to change yourself. Yep. So, so what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. That's the question, right? That's the hard part. What do you do? I mean, Hatan goes on a little bit, but um, yeah. They, their answer is one that requires more explanation that they then offer later on in the reading. But um, this idea of your service being yourself is something that uh, Hatan, Latwi, and Kuo will uh, examine in depth for the next 30 years. Um, it, because it has to do with, um, fully like finding who you are and then having that be a free and open radiation of who you are to another. Uh, that takes a lot of faith, um, to recognize that we have it within ourselves to be what is necessary. And, um, we, it means that we have a lot of work to do if we want to be there in the best way for those that we love that it means that, you know, the only, the only free will that we can exercise is on our own is our own free will. So if we want to serve and we want these relationships that we find ourselves attracted into, uh, to yield, uh, some growth, uh, the answer is not figuring out how to please the person in your in your relationship. This is something that Kuo talks about later where they say service is not pleasing another necessarily. It doesn't mm. mean that you give them exactly um, what will placate them. It means that you give them what they're asking for, what that need it really is. And sometimes if you can't give that, then it's best to say no, right? It's best to say, I just cannot, I don't have it within me to help you. Mm. Mm. Uh, here comes the first anecdote of the <laughs> session. <laughs> I don't want to reveal the identity of this person, but this person told me, and in, in, in this telling was an ask. They were asking for something implicitly. This person told me that they used to pretend when they were a kid growing up, they used to pretend to fall asleep in the car with their mom and dad so that their mom or dad would be forced to pick them up and carry them into the house because that was the only intimate interaction that they would get with their parents. Mm-hmm. And that struck me a is incredibly heart wrenching 
you know, because yeah. I care about this person that told me this, but in there was a, a great piece of truth that that person revealed to me about them, about their experience. And then I'm pretty sure there was an ask in there. There was an ask, an ask of, Hey, you know, they revealed, they appreciated that type of, you know, they need that. People need that. They need intimacy. They need touching, cuddling, hugging, showing of love. And they just revealed, they didn't get a whole lot of that as a kid. And boy implied was, wouldn't it be nice if I could get more of that, you know, today as an adult, this way, you know, in the future. So, um, Mm, that just, you know, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out for that anecdote. One down many to go, I'm sure. But oh, uh, it's, it's so important that people, uh, hear that we struggle with this stuff that, uh, we're trying to figure it out ourselves and, you know, telling stories from our lives is a way to show that these ideas really find their purchase, not mm. in the intellectual discourse that we, uh, perform here, but it's in the, the, you know, there's this podcast I'm listening to right now. Uh, this guy's pretty, uh, intellectual left-brained, uh, political guy, but he's been struggling mm-hmm. with the fact that like none of his politics matters if he can't ground it in some feeling in something mm. that like moves the heart. And that's right where I'm at too. It's like, you know, uh, these ideas will run your mind ragged and you'll feel like you're doing some work, but you're not doing the full giving of self. It's, it's an artifice in a way, right? This, this intellectual process, it keeps us from from, from, from the, the visceral experience of meeting that other heart and Mm -hmm. do we, what do we reflect back to them? Right. What are we seeing in the other, um, grappling with those things is the work of a lifetime and you might as well get started on it. Right. Yes. Yes. It just makes me think that, you know, if people are, you know, if the person who told me this is desiring, they're desiring a service, they're desiring perhaps a bit more love and intimacy or, or, you know, connection, uh, um, you know, and I, I then can make a choice or the other people around this person can make a choice and say, can I offer that? Can I offer that service? Do I have it within me? You know, maybe I, let's say it was me. Maybe I'm, I'm not an affectionate person, Mm -hmm. you know? So then I would have that there's more catalyst to start to work through. How can I offer what that person has asked for and needs while working through my own, whatever I need to work through? Um, you know, it's really good. I'm not, I am an affectionate person, you know, but (laughs) if, you know, but, um, it's just good food for thought of, uh, you know, we all run into this. People ask, and sometimes we feel like we're unable to help. Sometimes we feel like we can, and maybe we choose not to, or maybe we choose to. But uh, and sometimes what we end up offering in completely good faith, with an open heart, is not, in fact, what the person is looking for, and that yeah. is also catalytic, right? Like that's a that's what we're all afraid of. That's what keeps us from reaching out in the first place. A lot of times, right? Oh, Jeremy, that's insightful that it's the fear of others, unhappiness or rejection. When we come to the moment in charity and vulnerability, yes, vulnerability. and other people have power over us yep. when we come in and vulnerable and we, we kind of have to be okay. You kind of got to be okay with coming in like that and, and people, uh, maybe not appreciating or not accepting what you have to give at that moment, um, it's tough. It's tough to deal with, but it's, you know, it's um, maybe that's just the part of the path. And the more intimate the relationship, the more 
the, the tougher it actually is to be rejected. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. We're talking about rejection. Yes. And that's why uh, I believe that the crucial ingredient that Hatan speaks of in this ability to be of service to your mate or to somebody uh, with whom you're in an intimate relationship um, is to know who you are. So you don't rely on that person needing to show you the reflection that reminds you who you are. Right. Like, you know, I've, 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 I've been to therapy before (laughs) and, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, one of the things they talk about in there is that, you know, uh, when you're in a relationship, uh, there's, there's this idea that one partner usually is there's one partner who's in more of a ditch than another. They call it like being in the ditch. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and like, what they say is that, you know, there's usually one partner that's more often in the ditch than the other, but it can't always be the same partner. Right. And this idea of like being in the ditch is like, this is an opportunity for the other person to be able to lend strength, to lend clarity, to lend hope and inspiration, um, to help the person out of the ditch. But (laughs) big, but, uh, the free will thing, can't forget about it. Right. You Mm -hmm. can offer. uh, But at the end of the day, that person has to accept. And if they don't accept, Mm -hmm. then if you're holding on to something because you weren't your help wasn't accepted. Now you have like some like karmic tie into it. It's not a free gift of self. This free giving of the self, knowing who you are, um, accepting that and then allowing the creator to radiate through that. Uh, as a progressively less and less distorted uh, breath of the creator to another self. I mean, it is it it just seems like a lot of responsibility for a relationship, a marriage, you know, a girlfriend and boyfriend. And yet and yet, isn't it funny that like from a spiritual point of view, these relationships really don't have much more uh, value to them from a spiritual point of view is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I don't yes. value my marriage. I'm just saying that from a spiritual point of view as it's a tool, um, it's interesting to look at it this way so that when we get hit sideways, as happens so often in these relationships, right? I mean, the hall of mirrors that is those intimate other selves shows us things that we're not prepared for. And yeah. in fact, in this yeah. reading, Hatan says that's kind of part of the reason that you're attracted, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we, the idea is know yourself and then understand that the world is going to give you that self that you're beginning to know, uh, the things that you can't find out about yourself through a personal, uh, exploration within like there's a, there's a, there's a symmetry to the outer and inner. And once we learn to dance with it, and that's, I think why one of the reasons why the Confederation always speaks of life as this dance, right? Because there is no rigid set way to do it. It is kind of like a bobbing and weaving through and just finding like, you know, a groove that you can get into Uh, musicians. You know, if you're an artist or something like or or you do Tai Chi or something like that, like, you know what I'm talking about. You say bobbing and weaving and I immediately think of fighting. I don't think I know. (laughs) I know. But the, the funny thing about bobbing and weaving is that it's a dance like way to think about fighting. And like, if you can think of it as you're just moving around and you're like letting the, you're letting the, 
you're you're not allowing the contact of the punch to hit you, but you're still in that moment, right? You're still participating mm. in it and you're still working with the energy. I am sketching here <laughs> a very <Yes>. advanced <laughs> understanding of this stuff that I do not I do not have it within me yet to fully bring to my uh, relationships. As I was just talking with Ryan before, I, I'm not going to get into like things going on in my life, but just know, listener, that you know both Ryan and I are doing the best that we can to apply this to our lives, and we're uh, we're just relaying what we find. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting what relationships with others teach us about ourselves. And I think this is even in the raw material. And there I go using that word again. I think uh, this is in the raw material, but I believe they talk about the functionality of the third density when we basically turned evolutionarily turned from apes into people and we lost the hair. We were almost encouraged to move into groups and Mm -hmm. start relying on each other and working with, I'm paraphrasing completely, but working with each other more it spurs, it encourages the personal interactions, you know, interpersonal interactions. And there's, if that's what this density is all about, you know, the choice and starting to come together as a society, as a people, it makes sense. But there's, there's so much catalyst in just in the way we feel when a person that we love is struggling or in pain or super happy like we were talking about earlier, listeners, if you have never experienced this, I'm going to fill you in. If a friend of yours, if a, if a family member of yours happens to be a fighter, like a boxer, MMA fighter, and you go watch that or a wrestler for that matter, if you go watch them fight, if you go watch them perform, it's really a performance, but if you go watch them fight, you're going to be in a worse condition emotionally than the, than your friend will be in the ring or in the octagon, wherever they're at, because you have no control over the punches that are getting thrown or be, or feeling you have no control and you feel every punch that, that, that your friend takes. And it it just feels like that in life in general, when your kids are suffering, when your parents are suffering, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a secret. It won't be a secret for much longer, but when my, when my grandma passed away, I didn't cry because my grandma passed away. I cried because my dad cried. It almost makes me want to cry right now. It was, he was in pain and that, that I couldn't deal with. You know, my grandma, love my grandma, but me, life and death, it, you know, I've just always kind of had this, this attitude. It happens. It's a part of life. You know, I, I have these spiritual beliefs, you know, but, but seeing my dad in that amount of pain and that's tough, but you know, that's, that's life in the microcosm. And there's so much we learn about ourselves and there's so much rich catalyst that we can work through and improve on ourselves when we see what other people are going through and we can choose you know, whether or not we can help them. And if we can't help them, can we at least be there for them? Anyway, I could go on and on about this, but I won't, but, um, it's just, there's, there's a power, there's power in relationships. And it is in these intense experiences that we're talking about where these ideas, uh, start to feel less as intellectual concepts that we're putting on reality. And instead they're things that we live. They're things that we feel. They're things that we react to and to become visceral and bodily. We feel them in our gut. That's when you're learning. 
This intellectual mm-hmm. stuff at best, at best, it's designed to prepare you so that when you get into that moment, maybe you'll be a little bit more awake. Maybe you'll have a few more resources. But hey, we're all just bozos on this bus, like Carla used to say. Yes. Well, should I keep reading through this transcript? Because it, let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. We can skip ahead because Hatan continues to talk about, um, you know, serving at Carla's addressing Carla's question as to whether or not she is responsible for the spiritual development of her partner. Yeah. Um, Hatan continues. You may find this easy to give to others beside your mate for there is an escape. You will leave friends. You cannot leave family and your family comes to know you. Your weeds as well as your crops your fruit and flowers. We each have a unique bias. Yes, even we have biases, we of Hatan. And this is why we take mates as do you. For there are those who are more harmonious to our vibrations than others, those with whom it is well to work out our destinies. But you must remember, my friends, that you cannot change those whom you love. You can only be the best person that you can be. And if your example is an inspiration, then your loved one may change as you desire. You may be seen quite clearly, but it does not matter, for the free will of your loved one is fundamental to the quality of your relationship. Thus, it cannot change. You can only be. In this way, only can you be of true spiritual help to your mate or to anyone else. As we said, it is difficult for the most part to be um, with one's family. To be. That, my friends, is the essence of difficulty. And I think that's, that's great. It just seems to hammer home. Be yourself. I'll finish it. Be. You be you. You know, you be you. Don't be anything else. Don't be a, an apple trying to be on a, ch- a pear tree or a, a cherry tree. You be you. And don't think that uh, you as an apple, the thing that your cherry tree partner really needs is just an apple like you, right? Uh, my, my, my mate is very different than me in a lot of ways. And it has taken... 20 years of being together to realize that she's not going to necessarily benefit from the ways that I've learned how to deal with things. She's got to find her own way. And, um, you know, it's tough. All of us are, uh, in the ditch sometimes. And, um, it's tough when you see your partner in the ditch and you feel like, the thing that you want to reach out with most naturally and help um, that comes from a place where you're trying in a lot of ways, it comes from you doing the first thing that comes to mind rather than thinking about who you are and whether you can be of any help at all. And in a lot of ways, we think that some action is what's helpful. We think service naturally is some kind of action. That's mm-hmm. the big thing that that I that I keep getting out of Confederation material. No, no, no. Our service is our radiation of ourselves. It is an act of being. It is not a specific act 
of action that we take out there. And uh, in later uh, transcripts, Quo uh, hammers on this concept of being versus doing and how much of a paradox it is for an animal (laughs) in this society of like, you know, busyness to finally Mm -hmm. recognize that all of that work, all of that labor, all of those uh, good faith attempts to be of service are not the core of what you bring to the situation. The core of what you bring to the situation is however clear you yourself can be. Wouldn't it be an interesting world if each person was true to themselves and transparent with who they were to everyone else? I know that I'll speak for me here, but I have I have very few people. I don't have a lot of friends. I mean, I have a lot of people that I like, but if I, if I'm thinking of close friends, people that I feel just are near and dear to my heart, it's very few, but those people, I know who they are and they're open with who they are with me. And I try to be that way. I mean, it's, it's something I strive for to just become more secure in myself, my little quirks, my, you know, whatever I, I can, I tend sometimes to be a literal person and at work that that can be challenging, but I'm, I own it, you know, and yeah. I'll just say it up front. And, you know, if someone tells me a joke and I don't get their sense of humor, I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I kind of am taking that literally. Like, is this a joke? Cause I'm, you know, I'm really not getting it. I'm kind of dense. Help me out. You know? So it's, I, it, wouldn't it be interesting if you, if you knew what you were getting with everyone, but if everyone had the confidence, because I think that, you know, a lot of people try to be what they feel others want them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they think that cherry tree wants an apple attached, apple branch attached to it, but that's not the case, you know, and that's its own struggle. I mean, that, you know, psychologists spend their lives studying that kind of dynamics. You know, I don't think we're going to get very far with that one, but it's, it, you know, that's just, that's just my feeling. That's just my, uh, that's just my feeling. That would be very nice. Feelings like that, which I share with you, um, can possibly come from uh, a memory that we have of a uh, place that we came from. Maybe, uh, perhaps, uh, we are not native to earth. Uh, Perhaps people who feel like that often um, are looking for something that they miss from their home vibration. Um, In a recent uh, transcript, uh, Hatan describes Latwi and their sense of humor and says, there, ah, there is a planet that knows how to be themselves. And they are free to be one. They are free to be one. Isn't it interesting that we think that it's this act of... um, of fitting in it's we think of society as like we've got to conform ourselves to what is expected of us and yet what what we all really want from each other at the end of the day is for each everybody to be themselves fully transparently honestly sincerely uh yeah. and and we play these games with each other uh instead yes. right it's funny because it's i i think you're right it, and i think that with an understanding of yourself and a, when you're being true to yourself and, and you, you understand that there's a kind of a cultural risk to being yourself, you know, sometimes you're the black sheep of the culture. You're that weird artist that, you know, does, 
I don't know, does crazy things and you just don't seem to fit in. But when you are yourself, I would hope, I'm sure this is not always the case, but I would hope that that comes with a certain level of respect and understanding for others to choose and be who they are. I would certainly think so. I mean, how could you, yeah. How could you truly accept another if you don't accept yourself and how could you truly want, how could you truly accept yourself and want somebody else to not accept who they are? What kind of reflection would that show? It wouldn't be the reflection that we're all craving that we all know is possible, right? We mm. all on a visceral level, I think maybe, maybe I'm being presumptuous, but, but I think all of us on some level recognize that we could be doing a lot better on this planet. We could be doing a lot better in this society in multiple ways. Um, I think that manifests in yeah. a lot of different ways too. But how, but how many people have that realization? And then look at the other person and be like, boy, you need to change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like looking at themselves and saying, how can I be the best person I want to be? Um, you know, I'll give you a, just a, another, another anecdote working in finance. I have the, the opportunity to see people's words versus their actions with regard to their money. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I've learned about people's money is that where people spend their money is where people's values are. And um, it's just interesting that, you know, socially responsible investing is is becoming huge, at least in the, the headlines as far as being popular. A lot of people want to be socially responsible investors. And in other words, they don't want to buy oil companies, gun companies, sin stocks like cigarette companies, alcohol, etc. But it sure is funny it's almost as if I, cause I know, I know a few people who really enjoy socially responsible investing and, and a few of them, they live their entire lives. Like they are socially responsible, um, in that they only buy like farm to table food. You know, they, uh, they drive an electric vehicle. Um, they re- you know, they live in a low energy house. They got solar, solar panels. And then other people are the complete op- op- opposite, almost mm-hmm. as if they're using, you know, they're using this investment strategy as a, as a way to make up, you know, for their littering and just completely inefficient lifestyle as far as um, a carbon footprint or impact in the environment. Um, I apologize. I can't remember how I was getting on this subject, but uh, it, it's, um, it's about how all of this relates to how, how do our ideals relate to how we actually behave in society, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's, um, if you were true to yourself, you know, it's like, sometimes I wonder, it's like, boy, just, just simmer, simmer on this a little bit and think, mm-hmm. like, do you want to, you know, do you want to spend all of your investment dollars over here because you, you've got a Ford F three fifty, and you pull your you know your racing boat to the lake you know that's a hundred miles away every weekend, and therefore you got to you feel like you got to do something on the other end of the scale to help make up for that. Um, it's just it's just interesting to see the the juxtaposition of within one person's life, you know, two different aspects within one person's life, and it, you can almost see the complexity that they're dealing with. And, uh, it's just, a, it's just a great, I think I personally, for me, it's just a good example to, to, uh, people are complicated 
you know, and, um, that's a, I guess that's the simplest way to put it. People are complicated and, uh, um, sometimes people say and do different things than, than how they actually feel. And when you have a society that of 6 billion, 7 billion people doing that, Mm. right. Of Mm. not being truly honest with themselves and therefore not with each other. Um, there's a good reading that I ran uh, across uh, just the other day, uh, November 7th, 1999, uh, where Quo talks about how a lot of being able to open one's awareness to the present moment and therefore those most um, pressing opportunities for true service in a lot of ways is a rejection of the culture in which you live. Um mm. They, they say that, uh, the, I'll, I'll just quote from here, in the culture in which you now enjoy living, the hope is not that the entities will be mindful, but rather that they will be mind persuaded in the ways in which the culture wishes its citizens to think, behave, and move. As far as an unawakened spirit can tell, what is required of it is that it get a job, pay for the privilege of having space in which to live and food to eat. This economic concern, namely, that each citizen will take care of itself and its dependents, ranks far, ranks far above any consideration in terms of public policy of the spiritual evolution of its citizens. Naturally, this not being the obvious concern of governmental or cultural entities, this has never, for the most part, been questioned. No one expects the government or the culture to require mindfulness, mindfulness of its citizens. However, We would say more than this. In order to become a citizen of eternity, it seems necessary to become one that is athwart society. You may think of it in terms of being radical or in terms of being other than the mind control of the culture. This may seem an extreme statement, but there is a seduction of principles and values that goes on within the daily intellectual life that the culture offers through its newspapers and various other information sources, which offers to its citizens much information inaudible. I'll, I'll cut it there, but I think that's pretty clear. Wow. The mirror of our, of the actual society in which we live is showing us in a lot of ways, kind of the cord, uh, that is created by all these individual vibrations being not in line with their true selves. And so we cannot look to the, to society as a yardstick to measure ourselves against. Um, instead we have to find that within. And that is actually how we, uh, best affect society is not necessarily by going out there and doing, uh, things. I, and I say this as an activist, I say this as somebody who spent a lot of time, uh, trying to do projects to move the culture in the direction that I'd like, that I'd like. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, getting in touch with myself is much, much more valuable because it changes that underlying uh, vibration that everybody is feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds woo-woo to people, but um, think of it less, if if the energetic vibratory uh, vocabulary bothers you, think of it more as just being a better unit of society, being more aware, being more available for service to others. You can see that over time, as people start to wake up, and go from units of society that are uh, sometimes taking more than they give, sometimes giving way more than they take, um, but never really being like comfortable with it. And society becomes this kind of like war of all against all, as Nietzsche put it. Uh, it turns instead through this focus on the self 
and 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 who the self truly is, uh, it, it it transforms that unit of society that is the individual into something where you could see social memory coming about because there's an openness and radiation and vulnerability and transparency of self that allows for us, like we said last week, it allows for people in society to at least be honest, even if they're disagreement, if there's if there is disagreements, even if there's contention, if you can just be honest about things, you have a baseline and you can build on that baseline. I think it is probably a mistake to look too much to society to judge where we are as a planet or where we are as individuals, because it's just so cacophonous. Right. Mm -hmm. But but it is important to recognize that you not fitting into society is not a reflection that you're doing something wrong. And that is different information than you've gotten probably your whole life. And I wouldn't like take it too seriously. It doesn't mean that you need to like give away all your possessions and become like, you know, a hippie mm-hmm. bum mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, <laughs> cut your hair for God's sake. But uh, it, it, it does mean that uh, when you are, let me put it this way. When you are laying in bed at night, looking at the ceiling and thinking about the problems in your life, uh, the, the, the things that are unresolved, the words that you wish you had said or wish you had not said, uh, the opportunities that you've missed. We all have had this. What do you reach for? Do you reach for something out there to probably not solve the problem, but at least make you feel better? Or do you reach for comfort within? Do you reach for Ooh. answers and asking the right questions within? Ooh. And like our, our development as third density individuals is about building a society where everybody can be that way. And that doesn't happen until everybody's full selves are expressed freely, not compulsorily, but freely, because when it's freely given, that has an energy that's completely different than what we've known in societies today. Yeah. Jeremy, I think you, you hit a really nice chord there. Um, when you lay at night and you're working through maybe the issues you had that day, what do you reach to for comfort? The people who are one with themselves, who know who they are and have a confidence about who they are and security about who, who they are, you don't need to go outside. You can look internally and say, yeah, things didn't go my way this week. Maybe I didn't work as hard as I needed to, or I didn't communicate the way that I need to in the future. And therefore that created Mm -hmm. this and that. If you got to look outside and look for other people's validation of you to find that comfort, my friend, you have a catalytic life ahead of you. And one thing, yet another anecdote that comes to mind, one of my best friends has a real estate firm. he's, He's built from scratch over in Boston. One of his first business partners um, said, tells everyone that he went to Harvard and uh, he did for a little bit. I mean, I went to Harvard for a little bit. Technically it's Harvard's extension school. It was great. You don't need basically just, you sign up and you go to classes. It's great instruction, but it's not Harvard college, which is very hard to get into. Right? So anyway, this guy claims that he you know, he graduated from Harvard with like a degree in history. And, um, my buddy gives me a call one day. He's like, Hey, um, 
you got to be pretty good at math, right? To get into Harvard. I'm like, well, it's part of the SAT. I'm like, I'm, yeah, you got to be good at math. And he runs through a math problem with me that is very easy, but this guy didn't, he couldn't get. And this planted the seed of doubt. Like, is this guy who he says he is? He's a business partner, mind you. He's known him for, for years. And so he calls Harvard and he says, yeah, I'm, he, he kind of made this up. He said, I'm validating a, a job application. This guy says he went to Harvard. I just want to confirm. Long story short, the guy didn't go to Harvard. Now, when that guy goes to bed at night, he can't go within. He can't because he's living a lie, right? And it's almost like a, it's a, it's a double slap. It's a, it's a double slap. He, because not only is he every day living a lie, which is certainly not good for being true to who you are, but not only that, he, if he wanted to go to, say, if he wanted to go to Harvard, he, he's not putting in the work, you know, he's not studying hard. He's not applying. He's not doing any of the necessary things to try to go down that path and actually live the life that he, you would assume, wants to live because he's, you know, he's pretending to live it right now. But, but that guy is, it's like every day, there's no, in my mind, there would be no way that I could move forward in knowing who I am until I come to terms with that, that untruth, that lie in my life, you know, and I think that's a, that's a huge example of what many people have in little itty bitty doses, you know, am I, am I, am I kind to my neighbors? Oh yeah, I'm totally nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I might throw rocks at the neighbor kids every now and then, but you know, whatever they, they like it. They think it's fun. Um, you know, it's, we all, my brother's a lawyer. If you ever need any help in that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I feel like that, that is it. That is life uh, writ large. Everyone, a lie is a lie. <clears throat> an untruth is an untruth, whether it be, oh yeah, I went to Harvard or, or, you know, it's, it, it's, it's in degrees, it's in gradations, but yeah. it is what it is. And do you have the strength and honesty to be honest with yourself and honest be whether be honest with others about who you are? Um, you know, go. It looks like you got a good idea. Well, it, it, I, 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 there are people. I, I think that the ego, the personality complex, mm-hmm. in general, has a lot of fiction to it. We create stories about ourselves and then they don't always line up with reality. We all tell white lies around that in order to maintain a coherent like personality that others can relate to. Right. If we were just Mm, like blown on the winds of whatever, like if other people acted that way, we would consider them flighty or they wouldn't, they wouldn't present a coherent thing to be in relationship to. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. So like I, I would hold out, the possibility that this guy sleeps fine. Oh, I think he does. And that that lie <laughs> and that that lie is just isn't important to him. Just like there's lies mm. that we little white lies that we tell all the time that are kind of just part of being in third density because there's so much artifice to it. There is so much artifice to this kind of society where you present a face to everybody. You present your credentials. You present how you dress yourself, how you talk. Right. 
Yes, I what immediately thought are is those the, really us? It, it thought I just thought of the analogy that this is life is a is a stage. It's a play, yeah. And we all play our parts, you know. And that's both like in a and almost in a literal sense, but kind of you know metaphysically, spiritually speaking, we have the real us, which is our higher selves, whatever that is. And we got this little play that we're in right now, you know, our little role that we're playing. So yeah, what you say, what do you say but, makes sense? And, and, and it's important that we be in a way that kind of lie, that we be that, uh, that we favor a coherent personality over the free expression in the moment and in any given time. Um, because that's what allows people to relate to us. Remember, like they're most people are not in touch with who they really are. So that's all they have to go on is the face that we show. Right. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with showing that face and working mm. on that face. Uh, and it is not um, a spiritual enlightenment is not an exercise, in my opinion, of annihilating that fake self, that fake personality, ego self. I consider that the yellow rave vehicle in the same way that like our sense of compassion and our sense of love is a is a green ray fourth density kind of vehicle. Uh, that yellow ray one is important. And what we do is not annihilate it and become like pure spirits that like uh, just speak uh, in, in w- with an echo every time we talk to our friends and neighbors, right? <laughs> like it's coming from yeah. on high. No, what we do is we channel to the best extent possible, to the greatest extent that we can, that highest and best that we have that we find in meditation. Mm-hmm. And we we find a way to 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 dance a dance that allows for that yellow ray person that social personality in the moment to find the best way to convey that highest and best. It is not by like annihilating uh, the personality ego self. It's by using it as a vehicle instead of the vehicle running you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Alas, you've had two or three very good transition points, but. I still want to get through the being yourself section of this transcript. So, so I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going through it. Let me keep going through it. So preach on brother in the, so we continue with this session. And again, let me check. This is May 6th, 1979. Jay, a person going by Jay in this transcript asks, I have a question. What do you mean by being yourself? How do you know what your I mean, there are basic things, you know, but inaudible. Hatan replies, my brother, we would be delighted to talk on this subject, for it is central. As you know, we have asked you many, many times to spend time in daily meditation. It does not matter how you do it. This instrument, Carla, has found it best to meditate briefly many times during the day. It works best for her. Other people find it better to spend an extended amount of period in meditation, 20, 30 minutes, even an hour. This varies from person to person. However, there is a vibration which is yourself. If you can remember your high school chemistry, you will remember that each metal has a specific spectroscopic color or group of colors uh, which were identified which were the identifying colors or vibrations of that substance. The vibrations of a being extend from the physical 
into what you would call the electrical or astral, and from there into the more spiritual realms, which are called sometimes among your peoples the Devakonic. All of these vibratory rates put together give a specific, shall we say, spectroscopic identification. However, you are not a metal. You are not an element. You are indeed an element, that is, but not of earth. You are an element of consciousness, and your color is one of what you would call relative virtue. You are unique and your uniqueness is eternal. In meditation, you become one with the Creator and with your higher self, that which will remain when your physical vehicle is no longer a functioning pile of chemicals, but rather a non-functional pile of chemicals. You will have the same vibration. To get in touch with yourself, it is best to meditate, for to find out who you are by action is a hit-and-miss proposition, as this instrument would call it. And those who attempt to find themselves this way only find themselves by a process of elimination, by trying something and saying, nope, this is not me, then trying something else and saying, nope, this is not me. And if their analysis is faulty, they may miss that which is themselves. In meditation, you become centered in something that is true, something that is much more permanent than your physical personality, something which is called among your people's character. I'll pause there. Um, the, the, <laughs> the hit and miss proposition of trying to find out who you are by action is the story of my life. <laughs> so I relate to that a lot. That really rings home, hits home for me. I think it hits home for a lot of people. I mean, when I read that, uh, the thing that comes to mind most immediately is adolescence. Mm. But I don't feel that much different than I did when I was a 16-year-old dummy. You know, like I'm still uh, me. Sixteen-year-old right? boys are dummies. You know, yeah, I'm <laughs> there's no doubt I'm about still it. Still me, but it's in, yeah. it's interesting that you know I, what I like is in in the beginning of of the sessions in the early seventies, at least the beginning of the transcripts. You know, they're constantly saying to meditate because that's the source. That's the, where you contact the creator. And slowly over time, they elaborate on why you should meditate and what the benefits are, and just some of the other nuance behind it or nuance around it. And this one I appreciate. It's yeah. getting in touch. It's quieting that mind, quieting all the stuff that's going on in your head that you think is important. You know, that chatter, that constant chatter that kind of defines you moment by moment. And just checking out, almost checking out for a minute and quieting all of that and centering yourself into that eternal part of who you are. That's... Uh, you discover something that uh, you don't have to try on to see if it fits or not. Um, and then because you have that, like, I think all of us are going to try on different personality quirks and attributes, but that's not our character by definition, right? Mm -hmm. That's not who we really are. And, the, and I, I find it interesting now that I'm reading back through this, 
uh, that they talk about if they're a na- if you're going through this hit or miss thing and your analysis is faulty. See, they they they, they hold out the possibility that with the proper analysis. You could figure this out through a hit or miss proposition. And I, I, I think a lot of people, maybe some people do figure out who they are um, through a hit or miss proposition. Right. Because for whatever reason, perhaps uh, they have an innate uh, understanding of themselves that allows them to, cut, to, to, to bring that to the evaluation of these different uh, things they're trying on. Uh, I, you know, I, I hold out the possibility that there's lots of different ways of being a spiritual human being and that the ones that make sense to me might work differently for other people. There might be things that I don't even understand. Uh, so I, what I want to do is I want to, uh, recognize where, uh, uh folks like Hatan, where are they pointing and where they're pointing is meditation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. With the meditation um, I have not been meditating for long, but from what I hear, and maybe you can, maybe you can give me your thoughts on this, but from what I hear, it's something that you first, you got to take it on faith that this will improve your life. Or it'll, it'll, it'll improve something about you, but it takes time. I I've heard that it can take a couple years, three to four years before you really can look back and say, Oh wow, I was different three or four years ago. But now that I've been meditating, I've heard it takes time to start to experience that. I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, on that. Well, there is a, I believe, Hatan uh, reading where they say, give yourself a couple of months and then look back. I think so. I, there's, there's reason to believe that at least the Confederation thinks it happens at a quicker clip. Um, well, they're terrible but, with time. They'll even say they're terrible with time. So <laughs> very, and, and I, I take that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that. I take that to heart very much. Um, but I do think that you can notice benefits pretty quickly. But the, the interesting thing is that I think what meditation does is it changes what you think it is of benefit, Right. Hmm. Like, like if you sit with your inner self and you familiarize yourself with it and like go through the process of being like, you know, maybe some of this feels alien, right? Like maybe some of this isn't what you thought it was. In fact, I can almost guarantee whatever you think enlightenment, peace, love is, it's not that. Uh, I got that from Pima Chodron's uh, When Things Fall Apart. Okay. All of these things, these concepts are not what we think they are because they're not intellectual concepts at their root. They're deeper than that. We experience and feel them when we're partaking of them. We are not thinking about a mental model that tries to approximate them. So mm. uh, it is in meditation, you have the most bare bones uh, no, no, uh, like weird strings attached or anything, uh, experience of yourself and you have to exert effort to be able to have a, uh, uh, a regular experience of that. So you come to know it. So it's not something that you have to be told by a priest or a counselor about your now yourself. It's something you come to know on your own terms. This is one of the things I find that's so great about the Buddhist tradition. And I think it really fits into the law of one because they say, don't take our word for it. And I think the Confederation often says, 
Don't take our word for it. Find out for yourself because, again, the experience, the feeling is what we crave. The intellectual thing, that is a facsimile. Um, And so it is in meditation that we start to have this experience of what we could be, of all of the different things that we could be, of things that we didn't even know were possible. Um, of feelings, of qualities of consciousness, qualities of perception. I mean, I think that uh, for me, I really saw the benefit of meditation when I got into an argument and had a different reaction than I thought I would have, that I thought I'd probably had ever had. Um, a little less defensive. It's on the margins, right? It's almost like the benefits of meditation require Uh, you to have the free will to accept or reject the validity of that uh, thing that you're observing about yourself. Mm -hmm. So you're never quite sure until you're long down the road. Then, of course, you have enough time to be able to see all of the changes that you've gone through, whether or not they're created by meditation or not. And you can start to pick apart. Okay, well, I can see how this is a deviation. And, you know, it is I would I would end by simply saying not sure how important it is for you to notice this stuff about yourself because at the end of the day like it's not a game right it's not you're not racking up points here uh when it comes from a deep desire that you have discovered in yourself you don't need to have necessarily all the time the perfect reflection that you expect to manifest you can trust in settling into that groove and more and more uh Find a way that even when life pulls you out of the groove, now you know <laughs> what you want to get back to. Mm. That is invaluable. There are tons of people walking around who don't even know how to get back to something that would feel comfortable and peaceful. In meditation, we have a shortcut to uh, discover the way to get back on a path that is ours so that we can be us. So, because no one else is going to tell us what we are, we have to find that out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's why it would make me so sad if the people who listen to this podcast just consumed my ideas, consumed your ideas, um, consumed the Confederation's ideas and kind of left it at that. I know that that's sad because I used to be like that. For probably the first 15 years of studying the law of one, I thought it was an exquisite uh, model of approaching reality uh, in the way that all of the gurus and saints and uh, 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 new age thinkers all kind of like agreed on. And this Mm -hmm. was like a very Mm -hmm. elegant way of putting it all together. And that satisfied me. It satisfied me to have a model and I could always think, well, you know, everything's one. So, you know, now I'll go back to my regular life (laughs) (laughs) to have an experience of it. That's why I said uh, in an earlier episode, it was a heart opening experience that I had in 2015, 2014 really was a trigger uh, that, got me to understand that all of that thought didn't matter. Can you share that? This is, so this is the third time I think I've heard you say you had a heart opening experience that kind of shifted your trajectory or at yes. least your path. But I've, I don't think I've asked it, you what that experience was. It, it, it's, uh, 
you will know what I'm talking about because when I describe that, it's the kind of thing that happens to you. There, you know, we are trying to uh, uh, articulate a spiritual philosophy that allows for people in their veiled, uh, limited selves to participate more in pushing the real ball forward, mm-hmm. right, and getting the the soul to be tempered in the. Uh, in the, in the heavy fire, you know, really blasting fires of third density so that that statue can be forged and be powerful mm-hmm. for what we need for fourth density. Um, but, uh, you know, when it, it the, the thing is, is that transformation, I think the archetype of transformation, I'm going to be really, really, really uh, abstract here, <laughs> is about something happening to you. It isn't about something that you do. It's about something that happens hmm. to you. Hmm. Otherwise, you know, it would be something other than the completeness, the abjectly totalizing nature of transformation. And that's what happened to me in 2014. Um, I'm a longtime anarchist. I'm a longtime uh, activist against uh, uh, abuse in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is something that I still struggle with uh, balancing. And... Um, so in 2014, I was crossing the street. Uh, I had a green light to cross the street. And basically what happened is as I was, I was crossing the street with a friend of mine going back to the place I worked at, um, a cop car drove right up on me, like uh, turning across the intersection. And I think what happened was he was looking at his computer. He wasn't looking where he's going and he popped right up on me. And all I did was give somebody who just about ran me over a dirty look throws on his lights, blocks two lanes of traffic on a six lane street and gets out of the car. And he is just hopping mad at me. He's like, <laughs> how dare you? Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? He just keeps saying, are you serious? Like 50 times at me. And I'm like, the hell's going on here? You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, he starts saying, you know, like I could have been going to save your mama. I could have gone to save your kid. Like, you don't know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, am I being detained? Am I being detained? I, <laughs> Classic. See, I, I'm one of those dudes who like has it down. Right. I have the little like uh, card in my card in my wallet. Uh, or at least back then I was, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a little less aggressive now. Um, and, uh, uh, so I just like stood my ground. I was like, you know, <laughs> I, what do you want? Like, I'm not saying crap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he like detains me and like would not let me go and could not articulate any reason why this is Richmond police people, Richmond, Virginia police. Uh, I, I, I told them about this and they, uh, basically blew me off. So, but anyway, like much worse happens to people who don't look like me. Right. Um, in any case, uh, eventually he's like, you know, uh, I, I want to see your ID. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my ID. Like, you can't even articulate any suspicion of a crime. And he pulls out his handcuffs and is like, you want to do it this way? And uh, I don't know. I had a little I had something on me that I didn't want a cop to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, all right, because, you know, my brother is a leading trial lawyer criminal defense trial lawyer in Richmond. Mm -hmm. I probably could have gotten some money (laughs) if I had like just let him arrest me. Right. And just like, but you know, who knows what happened to me, you know, like uh, maybe he's not a good person and maybe he would have taken even more anger out on me. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, I gave him my license. He went in his car for about five minutes. I'm like telling people at work, like, Hey, come out and film. Like, I don't know what the heck's going on here. Uh, About five minutes later, he gets out of his car and he um, hands my license says, you'll, you'll hear from me in a few days. Hmm. which is complete BS, yeah. right? Like no cop says that yeah. like that. That's that's <laughs> I'm getting out of here now. So he sat, settles up and goes home or whatever. 
And I'm left to process this with all of my anti-cop, anti-state beliefs. Um, And uh, what I found most interesting is that the more that I let this simmer, the less angry I felt. I didn't feel angry at the guy. What I felt was sorry for him. And I, that disturbed me, Ryan, that disturbed me quite a bit that I would feel sorry for this guy who gets out of his car, literally stomping his feet. Like he's like, you know, uh, who's the six shooter guy from Looney Tunes. Uh, Yosemite Yosemite Sam. Sam. Yeah. Just like, like it, 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 as the more I thought about it, the more ridiculous the whole thing seemed. How I always have been going around thinking that these cops are use or have all this unaccountable power. And this guy is behaving like he is the victim. Like he has no power here at all. Like he's standing up for his little self Mm -hmm. and he could have killed me probably if he wanted to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it made me really think about what's going on here. What's really going on here. Uh, And that started a process of reflection where I started meditating. I started really, uh, I got really into the music of Towns Van Sant and that was also a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, He, uh, He's a country uh, singer songwriter, uh, uh, but I watched a, a documentary one night about his life, and uh, he got into a lot of trouble when he was a kid. And his parents, in desperation, uh, basically did insulin shock therapy on him. Okay, which is basically where they they give you an insulin like shock or something that's supposed to create like almost a coma, but it shuts you down completely. It's like, it's a, they say it's worse than electroshock therapy. Okay. And he lost all his childhood memories. So a lot of the pain that he's bringing from his, 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 through his music is coming from this intense. I mean, you know, I, I, I do some subscribe, I do subscribe to some economic theories that talk about alienation, Mm -hmm. alienating one's labor uh, in the, in the wage uh, uh, relationship, but no alienation like this of losing yourself and having to like search for it for the rest of your life. And it just, it struck something really deep in me where I was like, I have to find who I am. Hmm. Um, and when I went to homecoming at LL research in Anchorage, Kentucky, uh, in 2015, I really connected with how Jim was going through uh, a process that uh, of heart opening that he was going through and what he described sounded like what I was going through. And I felt a lot of um, kindred spirit with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I described it as a heart opening exercise, because I had been told earlier in my life that I kind of had um, a blockage in my heart. And I think that I can see that in my life. And so I've been trying to work with that more consciously. I've been trying to participate in the process, in the catalytic process of that being um, rubbed up against and the friction that that creates to, in, to instead like try to look a little bit more closely. I, I do not do anything close to a good job listeners. Like I, I, I am a bozo on this bus, just like everybody else. And the things that screw me up and, and throw me off are things that uh, I least expect, right? They're the smallest things, but like, I do think that it is important that when you pursue this path, that you look and anticipate for the time when something will happen to you that will wake you up and you don't know when it's coming, but it is very much um, a perennial 
marker on the spiritual path to have these events that shock you out of where you were and mm. put you in a completely different stance. And I believe that the tarot card for transformation of the spirit is the lightning struck tower, right? Mm. It's this, it's you're in the darkness in the matrix and then there's a sudden flash of light and that's the potentiator. That's what starts the process within this matrix pool of possibility. It is a sudden flash of light that creates the possibility for the spirit to start the process of in of having catalysts occur to it and then an experience issue from that catalyst as the biases are determined. Right. Hmm. I don't want to get too far into the archetypal analysis yeah, of this because I know I'd just be leaving people behind. My, I mean, uh, it's really hard stuff. I think we'll, uh, we'll have to set, some specific episodes for the exploration of yeah. archetypes. Cause personally, the, and I want other people here too. Yes. And that's my Achilles heel. That is definitely my Achilles heel with, with the, at least with the law of one stuff is the, the archetypical material. Because the archetypal mind that the archetype system reflects is such a personal experience. Mm. I really insist on not having any listener think about this stuff with only one influence, only one interpretation, because my idiosyncratic personal interpretation of things is not the thing to learn. It's trying to give the listener, the student, uh, the seeker, their tools to figure out their own way that they relate to these archetypes so they can experience this more fundamental level of mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Uh, those of raw describe the, uh, archetypal mind as a system of basic expenditures of energy. Hmm. So these are like basic ways that, um, the drama of a of a universe going through a process of separation and eventual return to unity. These are the kind of like uh, elements and that that build that bridge okay. back. Okay. So it's really important that people have an experience of it that comes from the heart and that is theirs. Yeah. I don't want them to just adopt a view that you know makes sense the way that I used to adopt views from raw right yeah well isn't it interesting that until you have an experience like that sometimes all you have to go on are other people's experiences and how those experiences resonate with you and how you think you might react to certain situations um but your your story with that officer is fantastic um a cuz the i guess the catalyst of it moving you onto a slightly different path but that moment of recognition and understanding in that officer and for a moment, you know, seeing things from his perspective, even while you, he, he's got the badge, he's got law, the law on his side. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, um, how do I say, it? because if he pulled you over and there, and it wasn't against the law, then the law is not on his side, but he represents, he represents the state, right? He represents the, but it's my word the, against his, right? Exactly. Exactly. He, he represents <laughs> force you know and and coming he represents that social consensus yes that isn't of our true selves and coming out of that and recognizing that he's human that might not feel all that power that you had once ascribed to him and he was showing yes. that yes that's he huge. looked vulnerable he looked yes. like a human being 
That was not the way that I had thought about cops. I had cultivated a hostility Mm. towards cops Mm. that did not ring. And that started a process of completely reevaluating my politics. And I basically like didn't really think about politics until (laughs) I was at Charlottesville in 2017. Uh, That, Mm. that, kind of wow. was another lightning struck tower yeah. that uh, really shocked me into a different way. And that I've still, I'm still coming back to balancing that because I feel like 2020 has been a landmark year for me. Now for like people, a lot of people, for people who might not know what that, the Charlottesville reference is, that was when oh. there was a, a protest about pulling down statues and there was a yeah. counter protest with black lives matter. And it ended up that one guy drove a car into a crowd and killed a woman. Is that, that's correct. That's right. Remember, that's okay. the place. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it's like, it's in these intense moments that you really meet yourself. You see what I mean? Like, like they're gifts and they can't, you don't know how to order those gifts. They have to be presented to you. Mm -hmm. And then once they happen, you're just waiting for the next gift and it could be, you know, a lifetime to find that next time. But like the best that you can do to participate in this kind of intense process is to prepare yourself, mm-hmm. prepare yourself now to be the best person you can be when it happens. This is how we use time instead of like being like driven by time and always harried in our, in our processes and never measuring up. No, 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 no. We can use time to our benefit by right now when things are calm, Doing the disciplines of the personality, going within, getting clear, working on ourselves, working on our interactions with others. We lay that groundwork um, and then we create a way for something that we can't even fathom to occur. Yeah. What a great lead into the last couple paragraphs here in this session Mm -hmm. of Hatan. Answering a question about what it means to be yourself. Hatan continues. There are underlying traits that go so deep within your character that you know within yourself that they are not part of your learning experiences. These are clues to who you really are. Of course, all of us are basically splinters, shall we say, of the great sphere of love that burst into infinite pieces at the beginning of your universe. So you are, in truth, part of love. But which part? Who are you? Who are you really? This is not a question that is prompted by an egoistic search, a selfish desire to know, a narcissistic hunger for selfhood. For selfhood you have. But to truly know that selfhood is the only wisdom. And from that wisdom comes the compassion, the patience, and the grace to love all of those people who are reflections of yourself. Let's do a pause there because there were some, some good ones. From that wisdom comes the compassion, the patience, and the grace to love all those people who are reflections of yourself. That's, that's how you love right there, by knowing who you are. Knowing yourself. And one of the ways that we recognize that, that underlying trait is, we, is when we can see something deep about ourselves that we're not necessarily, uh, that, that's not a source of friction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what do they say? That are not part of your lessons, I think they say. There are, un, there are underlying traits that go so deep within your character that you know within yourself that they are not part of your learning experiences. Mm-hmm. They're not something that you are working on. They are part of the resources that you have to do the work. Oh, great, great point. Great point. It's like you come, you, ha- you have a toolkit you can use, right? This is a clue of what it is that we're looking for. It's now, now don't take it to like, uh, literally, right. Uh, it is a clue and that clue will only help you so much in a process that is not intellectual, right? Mm. Nevertheless, our intellects are part of the th- total experience of this and they do play a role. The, the, the point is just for them to play the proper role, right? Mm-hmm. This continues. Your mate was drawn to you and you to her. Because you and she are polarized in such a way that you can reflect each other rather accurately and so aid each other in spiritual growth. You can distort that reflection by avoiding the understanding of who you really are. But in your unconscious, you know who you really are. What they just said there, that is how Catalyst is manifested into our lives. Our unconscious catalyst is uh, most fundamentally um, a process of our unconscious mind. It is our unconscious mind that sees an experience that occurs to us as something that is a lesson for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we experience in our waking consciousness at that lesson as some sort of like problem. Right. Like some sort of like friction. Oh, that is that's fantastic. Can you. Can you say that one more time just so I can, (laughs) I can process that because that was, that was, I like that. Well, it's just an understanding of what this thing that we keep talking about Mm -hmm. catalyst Mm -hmm. is. It's a, it's a way of looking at it based on, and this goes back to the archetypal mind. So this had to come up at some point. Um, When you look at the station of catalyst in the three cycles of the archetypal mind uh, that are in the tarot Mm -hmm. that is uh the major arcana of the tarot is the system that uh ra is most familiar with as a tool to understand this mind okay as a tool they say these 22 cards seven for mind seven for body and seven for spirit with one card accepted from all of those called the choice um these are Basic patterns of energy expenditure represented as symbolic systems that are intended to inspire in us, not just an intellectual understanding of how this works, but also the feeling of it Mm. because they're so personal. Mm -hmm. And when they talk about the station of catalyst in each of these three sets of seven catalyst being the third stage goes uh, matrix potentiator catalyst experience significator transformation Mm -hmm. and the great way. Mm -hmm. So mind, body and spirit has each of these stations and a a different card for each one. But when they talk about catalysts, they talk about this is especially in the mind, but uh, I I don't know about the spirit, but in the mind, they use the male and female characters to denote whether the, the, the source or recipient of the action is the conscious or unconscious mind. Okay. That is a little clue that Ra gives us. And Catalyst is mostly about the subconscious. It is about the part of you that is still in touch with the basic pre-incarnative plan. And 
has an agenda for how a human life is going to help us learn more about the creator and about ourselves. And it is that underlying unconscious uh, uh, latent thing that makes an event that occurs to us something that is that goes from a banal experience to something intense where we can take a lesson from that. Okay. That's perfect because I might've been pulled over by that police officer in the next day being like, yeah, whatever. Right. But most of the people I tell that story to, they're like, what, why were you being such a, you know what yeah. about to that's him? funny and because like, I hear you, you I hear me? your story <laughs> in that it, it it's so powerful to me because I can I can almost feel the process you were going through post post experience you know because I mean I've had similar pro, similar experiences too where you run into something that just plants a seed that ends up growing into this tree of doubt this bramble bush of just doubt that changes how you see the world you know and this the planting of the seed is the start of a seeking process. That is why we want seeds planted in us. And that's why when we're being our best selves, we can often plant seeds in others, not because there's something special about what we're doing or about the catalyst that plants that seed, but about something in them and in us that is being triggered that then shows you this personality that you've created, this this, this set of, uh, of fictions that you tell the world, that they can like relate to, that they can address you as, uh, not not so important now, is it? Mm. When you feel the floor shift out from under you, and you feel something alien that also feels very much like the self, my brother, you are on the road. And it what what is so? I remember writing about this experience and just marking like I'm used to having to push. To make progress. Yeah. I'm being swept away. I can't help it. I can't help but meditate. All I wanted to do was meditate. Isn't that an interesting possible signal that if you you try to force it, maybe you're closing yourself off to the natural lessons you should be keeping your eyes open for. Maybe you should just be more open to what's going on rather than try to force the issue and... You know, I don't know. Well, I think that people have to accept where they're at, right? Mm, Certainly. It was important. Like I will, I will, uh, point out that like I had accepted where I was at, at that point mm-hmm. I had accepted. And I remember, uh, telling, uh, Gary and Austin at LL research this, uh, when I was on their podcast a few years ago that like, I kind of took a step away from the spiritual path and from like, you know, 2010 to 2014, like mm-hmm. politics was more interesting to me. It seemed like the place where I was exploring myself mm-hmm. much more. Uh, uh, realistically and legitimately. And it felt, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and like they totally understood what I was talking about. Like, because then when you come back to the path, now you have this harvest of all the stuff that you've learned in your ignorance and you're stumbling about and you bring that to bear and you can, you're ready for your transformation. And then when it happens, you're just off. But I remember feeling like, you know, I'm not even doing this. I'm not even having like, it's just so weird when we uh, struggle so much in our lives, those moments when it's just pure bliss and it's just flowing through you. Yeah. Well, let's finish up this last paragraph here in this session. Hatan, go for it. Were you going to say something? I was uh, just that we are completists on this podcast. (laughs) Hatan finishes. Thus, we ask you to meditate. Find not only the love within you, 
but that unique and special love that is within you with all of its unique and special gifts. You know that some can give in one and some in another way. On all levels, some can speak and some can listen. And some can cook. Some can sing. Some can hold their arms out to children. Some can nurture old people. Some have the gift of silence and others that of words. When you know who you are, then your gifts will flow therefrom, and it will be a free-flowing brook, one which is not stopped by the distortion of doubt. This can only be done by daily meditation, seeking the Creator who is the seed and the source of the love that is you. It's a good way to finish it. Good way to finish it. I cannot possibly think of how to improve on that. <laughs> yeah. Meditate. Find who you are. Be yourself. And and I maybe maybe just one comment on how they're giving examples of the way that this desire to be ourselves looks like feeding people. It looks like talking. It looks like staying silent. It looks like whatever way that we have to uniquely manifest and bring the feeling that we want into a manifestation where other people can feel it because it is through the substrate of phenomenal reality that others can relate to what we bring through. Like that's the way that it has to work. It has to go through bodies, it has to go through spaces and through uh, words. Uh, but it's not the thing that is desired and it's not the thing that we want to express, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is something much more subtle. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't have anything to add to that. I think there are some great, great points in there. It's, uh, it's just so great to read this material every day and to let it seep in over time. You know, I used to, uh, favor, uh, raw over the conscious material, like I've said before, because for one reason it's, it's, it's just so repetitive, mm. but over time, if you let your mind marinate in these topics that are tackled in a slightly different way, every time you sort of get the shape of it. And I, I would encourage listeners to start your own study of this stuff. Um, and if not this, some other material that inspires you and that makes you want to, you know, especially in the morning, if you read it and you just go out and like, all right, I've gotten my coach's pep talk and I am ready to get in the game. Put me in the game, coach. I'm ready. Rudy, Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, you know what? I, I'll say one thing I may not be looking forward to is having to read all of this over again, because I can already tell just talking with you, you point out things that I miss and little ideas. And I know that in five years, when I've completed this project, when I go back to the beginning, I'm going to get something different from reading the material. So it's a little daunting to think about this is a never ending project, <laughs> you know, at least this, the contemplation and the, uh, and the absorption analysis, it's, you know, it, it varies in its method, but it's always there. 
It's always there. And uh, what's so great about your podcast is that you're giving people who might not want to read every day a way to do this themselves. And that's why we are so interested in listeners uh, comments, not just uh, things that you might uh, have to nitpick with us or things that you just want. I mean, most of the comment, all of the comments have been just really, really positive. Um, but, uh, also share with us what's, what is it like on your path? Please. You know, uh, because that helps us understand something about the creator too. Please. Yeah. I mean, that unique thing that you're bringing. Just from my part, when I found this, I was essentially flying solo, you know, no one to talk to, no one to bounce ideas off of. And then I find Jeremy, out of the blue. And it's been just a riot talking about this and, you know, getting a different perspective. So yes, listeners, if you want to reach out and let us know your experience, your interpretation, please, it just makes it more fun to think about and explore uh, the more ideas that are getting thrown around. So please feel free. I'm even open to correspond with people one-on-one if that would be helpful. Uh, sometimes you just need a little bit of encouragement. And if there's anything that I can do on that front, uh, let me know. I don't want to speak for Ryan. <laughs> sure. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's fun to be excited, but when you're excited with other people who are yes. excited, it's way better. <laughs> so, so share, sharing is caring. Reach out, let us know. It's that spirit that you bring to this project that feeds my soul, Ryan. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even joking. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, friends and listeners, thank you for checking in. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Um, Until next time, Jeremy, any parting words? Stay in the love and light, friends.